Hello, and welcome to the course. I'm Stephen, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Professor Milena Almagro of the Booth School of Business. Professor Almagro is an assistant professor of economics at the Booth School and an associated faculty at the Department of Economics and the CEMFI. She's here to talk to us about her career path and how she became a University of Chicago professor. Welcome to the course, Professor Almagro. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, first of all, we just uh, want to start off with a little bit of an overview. So um, could you please tell us you know, what your position is at UChicago and um, explain in terms that a, a layperson would be able to understand what it is that you, you study and you do? So I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. In particular, like I'm part of the micro group, the microeconomics group. And my fields are urban economics and industrial organization. And basically industrial organization, what it means broadly is to study how firms and consumers respond to prices, to competition, etc. And I'm, I take that, that framework and I put it into urban economics, which is we study how the geography of economics, the spatial distribution of the economic activity. And I use that framework in order to understand how households move, how they choose where to move, where to locate, how firms respond to that, how the characteristics of neighborhoods respond to, for example, neighborhoods gentrifying. And I try to model all of that with mathematical models so I can understand how prices are going to react to, for example, let's say, gentrification again. Our prices are going to go up or down if, if people are going to uh, moving into this neighborhood or move out uh, out of this neighborhood. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, and uh, we, we want to hear more about that. But also just another sort of overview question. Could you just sort of uh, walk us through the the steps that you took to get here, like starting with undergrads um, and, and coming up to where you are now? Actually, I, I took a very long path to, to get to where I am. Basically, the steps that I, I took to get here is ID, math, back in Spain. I'm from Spain. And that was a five-year degree. So it took me, you know, five years to realize that I didn't want to do math. Uh, and <laughs> at that point, I switched to economics. And then I went to the University of Cambridge in the UK. And I did economics in two years. Um, the econ BA in, in the UK tends to be three years, but I could do it in two years because I already had a degree at that point. From there, I went to the London School of Economics and I did a master's in econometrics and mathematical economics. And that opened the door to do a PhD. And I applied to PhD programs in the US and in Europe. And I got into NYU, New York University, got my PhD, graduated in 2020, and found a very nice postdoc at the Minneapolis Fed and a job at the University of Chicago. <laughs> That's my the overview of, of my career. I've been a professional student my entire life. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, you, you said that uh, it took you five years to realize that you didn't want to do math, but uh, it sounds like there's still a lot of math in, in your daily life. Yeah, there's a lot of math. Uh, I use mathematical models every day. And basically, even though I'm not a, like a theorist in math or I'm not a theorist in economics, and they <laughs> use mathematical tools way more than I do. Actually, the mathematical models that I develop and that I estimate are my bread and butter. So math is in, in, yeah, in, my, in, in every day in my, in my life. Putting that degree to use, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, one question that we've been asking is, um, you know, a little bit about what you were like in middle and high school in, in terms of your interest. Did you see yourself going on like a similar track to the one that you ended up on? Or what did you think you might end up doing? No, totally different. I actually, I didn't know that I wanted to do a PhD until very late in my career. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I was, thanks to my dad, I was, uh, I had a lot of contact with math and like thinking about in a logical way, developing some like logical thinking. My dad and I, when I was like probably nine or 10, we started like working on these problems that you have to develop your um, mathematical intuition. And that got me into like being in love with math since I was a child. So I was totally in love with math. I uh, actually participated in the Mathematical Olympiad uh, games in in Spain, and I wanted to be a mathematician. I wanted to do that, and it's very different the views that you have when you are a child, and the views that you have of things when you actually start working with them. Mm-hmm. And kind of that idealized image that I had with math actually kind of like crumbled down when I was in the fourth year of my math degree, remember that this degree took five years. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I actually, there was a turning point in in, in my life in general, because I did an Erasmus in in Europe. An Erasmus is just an exchange program that is very common in in Europe. So I went to Bristol, UK, and that was kind, that experience was eye-opening for me because I realized that there was a very big wall out there I also realized that I didn't want to be a mathematician because mm-hmm. I didn't see myself doing research in math and I didn't see myself in the career options that that degree was providing. I didn't see myself working for a bank or working for a hedge fund or being a programmer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I decided at that point that I wanted to do something that was more related to the work because the existential crisis that I had with math with math was that I didn't see that it was related to the world enough. Mm-hmm. I saw that it was very abstract and the ideas did not relate to my everyday life. So I decided to switch to economics for that reason, because I could still use all my technical background and my mathematical skills, but I could apply to problems that I saw with my own eyes. And yeah, I did my econ degree in Cambridge. Uh, That was a very tough experience because the education system in Spain is very different from the education system in the UK. Mm -hmm. In the UK, they are way more hands-off. So I got to learn to be very independent. And then I did a fantastic master's at the LSE in which I learned a lot. And that in that master's, actually, they have um, a great platform to send the students abroad. And I took advantage of that platform. And at that point, doing the master's was when I realized, oh, I want to be an academic and I want to do a PhD. So I applied to a PhD there and they have a fantastic support and many, many European masters have a similar structure. So that's that's a great way of, of becoming an academic and landing in a very good PhD program. Who are a few of the people who supported you throughout these uh, the various experiences that, that you were just listing? Like, you know, when you look back, who are some of the people who um, you feel like you really relied on for support as, as you were getting these degrees? So my dad, first of all, and he's been there throughout my career. 
First, when I was a child, because he was the one who made an effort that I developed this taste for math and that he was the one like trying to incentivize me to think in a different way because the math that we are being taught in school, sadly, many times is just like very mechanical. But there's a wall out there in how to think in, in mathematical terms. So he was the one putting a lot of effort into that. And that shaped my my brain completely. I can see that right now. Yeah. And later on, like he supported me. Like when I was applying to um, to my economics degree in and, and, and that I ended up in Cambridge. It was kind of a strange because in Spain, unless if you don't go to, there are two universities in Spain that are very good for sending their students abroad, but it's usually very hermetic. So you plan to do your degree in the university that is closest to your parents' house because you live with your parents until you're 25 or 26. Right. And my dad, when I told him like, dad, I really want to live abroad. I don't want to live in Spain. He was the one, okay, let's do it. And then at the time, I also had um, an English teacher in, because I was trying to learn English and, uh, and becoming more proficient in English. And he also supported me a lot throughout the way. He actually helped me with all the applications. And then in Cambridge, actually, that was tough because, as I said, it was such a dramatic change of how things were being done in terms of like studying a degree. But I, rem- I remember having a great study buddy, um, Anania Kotia, and he's actually doing now a PhD in economics at, at, at LSE. He was great um, because he helped me a lot. Like when I moved from math to economics, I had all the technical skills, but I didn't have the intuition of doing economics. Mm-hmm. And he helped me a lot learning um, how, or yeah, learning or, or developing um, this intuition that you need to do to uh, work on economics. Uh, yeah. And then later on, I guess my partner, my partner has been <laughs> very supportive. He also, he's also an economist. He did a PhD at NYU. Uh, his name is Tomas Dominguezino and he works at the Fed board. And we are, we actually have a paper together. Uh, we have a project together and he's been very, very supportive as well throughout the way. Like, Telling me do that, don't do that. Um, uh, like calming me down when I needed to. And yeah, so I've, I've been very helpful, like very lucky with the people that I've had in my life, I guess. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. And uh, I'm curious because I, I don't think that I've spoken to anyone on the show who has done academic work uh, with their partner. Uh, how, would you recommend that experience to others? Well, it depends. Because a lot of, actually, a lot of economists have uh, many, many papers with their partners. So this is not something very uncommon in economics. I don't know about other disciplines, but for me, it it was very organic, very, like the, the paper, we came up with the idea while we were traveling. So it was kind of like natural for us to start working on that idea. Yeah. And actually that idea eventually became my thesis, my, what's called in economics, my job market paper. And if I recommend it, it depends. So 
it's nice because you can be very honest. So you can, you don't have to, you know, you know sometimes we, when you have co-authors, you have to be respectful and be patient. And here you can be very honest and say, no, I don't like that. Or I don't like this other thing. But also being very honest implies fighting a little bit more. I, I must say that my partner and I, we only fight uh, with respect to the paper. <laughs> we, we, we actually don't fight that much. But it, it has pros and cons. It's <laughs> it's also nice the the fact that you I mean I don't know if it's always uh, good or bad but the fact that my partner is an economist I get to talk about economics a lot and the fact that he's now working for the government we get to talk a lot about like policy which is very interesting but at the same time it's hard to draw boundaries mm-hmm. so it depends it, it maybe it's not for everybody. And yeah, I don't know. It depends. I think I wouldn't recommend co-offering with your partner, but in my ex- because I don't think it's for everybody. But in my experience, it's been great, and maybe we have uh, more papers to write. I think he he doesn't want to write more papers with me. <laughs> I wouldn't mind writing more papers with him. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a good sign if uh, your disagreements are are limited to your your work life at least. <laughs> and uh, so you may have hinted at it there. I'm not sure, but um. Curious how you ended up, um, you know, looking at this specific aspect of microeconomics. Like what attracted you to um, studying industrial organization and things of that nature? So industrial organization, basically the, uh, what happened is that in doing the PhD, because I had this mathematical background, I wanted to be a theorist when I joined the PhD. And what happened is that I realized that that was still very abstract to me. So I switched to industrial organization because in industrial organization, you need to have all of those models of firms and consumers behaving. And it was still like, you know, there was a very still, um, a very big math, math component to it. Mm-hmm. And then I see industrial organization as kind of the tools that I use. I don't develop like new theorems or new uh, theories or methods in industrial organization, I use that as a tool to apply to urban economics. And why urban economics? I think this is because I'm really drawn to the problems that I see with, with my own eyes. I was living in New York and I was living in this neighborhood called uh, Bushwick. And I saw that the neighborhood was gentrified, but I also saw that Maybe the people living in there didn't wanna didn't like the gentrification because they were being displaced. Things were going up, but at the same time, the neighborhood was changing in a way they might not value because you have all of those hipsters coming into the neighborhood. You have all of these fancy coffee shops, and if you're a family, what you really need is like a grocery shop that right. can offer you like you know low prices. So I started thinking about that idea. My partner also at the time was very interested in urban economics. So we started reading a lot of papers together and we went on a trip. And in this trip, we were traveling through the north of Spain and we saw, we were in San Sebastián, which is a city in the north of Spain. And we saw how this city that in my head was a city that was very traditional, a city from the north of Spain, the vast country, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But at the time it was completely overtaken by tourists. Mm. So it was flooded with tourists. So the city center didn't look like the city center of a traditional city of the north of Spain. 
it looked like a tourist playground. Right. And then I started thinking, oh, wow, this is a very similar process to this process of gentrification because you have all of these tourists coming into the city and the city starts responding to the demands of the tourists. And what do the tourists want? They want to consume maybe a cheap food or food or, or restaurants that are catered to them. And the city is going to change in a way that maybe the locals do not value because maybe the locals do not share the same preferences and, and values uh, with with the tourists. Maybe the locals right. prefer more traditional food, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the main idea of, of my thesis, just trying to quantify how much this touristification process hurts different groups, hurts the, like different groups of local residents. For example, we can think that the young people really benefit from the tourists coming in because maybe they have very similar preferences to those of tourists, right? Like young people want to go out and maybe like older people or families do not like it that much. So I started thinking about the implications on inequality of this type of processes when cities start to change because the demographic group that it's in a city, like the demographics of the city starts um, start changing. And yeah, that was kind of how I started being, doing urban economics. Those are some really interesting case studies you bring up. And um, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you've lived um, in a lot of different places and, and you're seeing, you know, a lot of similar processes. Um, I'm sure that there was some gentrification in London as well. As well I'm, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Um, and some tourists in Cambridge, probably. Um I'm curious, like, how do you think having worked and studied in all of these different countries has uh, affected you as a scholar? Like, do you think that you approach these problems differently because of the different places that you have been uh, living and working? Yeah. So actually, one of the things that I'm seeing or I'm experiencing a lot is that the fact that I'm living in Chicago is shaping a lot my research interests. And as an urban economist, Chicago is a very interesting city because it's, it is a very segregated city mm-hmm. and there are a lot of racial disparities. So thinking about, like, I can see how Chicago is influencing me, but I, I, I can also see how New York actually set the, the stepping stone for me being an urban economist. Because mm-hmm. if I had done my PhD, let's say, Princeton, which is in, in New Jersey, is in kind of um, it's not a city. It's a, it's Very a different town. setting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably I didn't have the same questions that I have today, thinking about urban inequality, thinking about zoning, thinking about rent control, thinking about, yeah, segregation in cities, because you don't see that in, in Princeton or in New Haven or in smaller cities. You tend to see that in bigger cities. Right. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, so, you know, looking at your your day to day work, um, we're just curious to hear from you what some of your you know favorite aspects of the job are, and also uh, what are some of the not so fun aspects of what you do. Fun aspects is I have a very flexible schedule. So, for example, I love working out in the morning. So, if I had a, if I had a nine to five job, sometimes I have to wake up probably at. I don't know, 6.30, 6 a.m., which probably for Americans and other people, that's okay. But for a Spanish person, it's very, very early. <laughs> so, I have, you on that. <laughs> so I love the fact that I have a lot of flexibility. And I also love the fact that I get to talk to a lot of people and meet a lot of people. I love that. Also, as a Spanish person, I'm kind of a social animal. So I love interacting with people. On the downside, 
I think this flexibility also comes with a curse in the sense that I don't feel that I have holidays. I don't feel that mm. I have free days because I have so much flexibility that, okay, on Tuesday, I'm going to work for seven hours because I want to work out in the morning and I want to go for dinner with my friends in the evening. But then I have to compensate on Saturday. So right. my life feels good in the sense that most of the days feel like Saturday, but every <laughs> single day is a Saturday. So, you know, like the fact of being Saturday kind of loses its charm. <laughs> so yeah. that, that's one thing that I don't like. And the other thing that I don't like is that sometimes it requires a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe this is because I'm very young. I just joined Chicago one year ago and I just graduated like two years ago. And I have to do a lot of traveling right now. And Traveling is very tiring be, and it's very time consuming and I don't like that that much. But and I might say that I haven't started teaching, so I cannot speak for like the pros and cons of teaching. And something that I really love as well is like talking to, to students. And at Chicago, we have amazing students, but in many institutions, most of the PhD students are fantastic. So it's very nice to talk to them. Case in point, to your point about uh, all the days, uh, you know, never really having a holiday, uh, we are recording this interview on Labor Day. So <laughs> thank you yeah. for, for taking some time of your day off to do this. So uh, what would your advice be for students who were considering following you into this field? Into urban economics, I think something that has helped me a lot is like to read and understand the context of, of cities, because what happened, especially in the U.S., in the U.S., there is so much history behind the urban fabric and, and, and what we see today. And there is so much politics behind all of this mm -hmm. and so much policy that something that I would really encourage students that I didn't do myself because I, I didn't know about it is to read. Read like books that can tell you about a city. Read a book about the history of the city in which you're living in. There are a ton of great books that are kind of more less technical so more approachable for any person ed glazer has a fantastic book called the triumph of the city which as a starting point it's i, I think it's, it's it's a it's a great one to start and on top of that i would say that my advice is don't give up in if you think you want to be an academic and if you want to be an urban economist just go for it. In, I've been told many times in my life that I couldn't do this or that, and I never listened to them. And if you really have it in yourself, go for it. Keep working. Be very persistent. Persistence is, is one characteristic that is undervalued, but I think to be a very good academic, it takes more persistence than intelligence, meaning that <laughs> like you have to be, of course, you have to be smart. But you also need to be very patient and very persistent. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the advice that I would give. Yeah, excellent advice. Um, I have two more questions to wrap up. One, you know, as you said, um, you are, are pretty early in your career here. Um, so I'm curious, are there questions, types of research, um, th things that you're hoping to do that, that you're, you know, aspiring to do in the future? Like, what do you, um, where do you hope your current work is, is going to lead? I hope that especially since I moved to Chicago that I started looking at like the segregation of the city and how politics interact with this. I One thing that I really want to do in the future is to understand from a structural point of view from with these mathematical models to understand how policy 
interacts with segregation and how the preferences of people, the preferences of voters actually go into like the things that we see today, into the segregation patterns that we see today. I would love uh, if I'm able, if I'm ever able to shed some light on that. I'm just thinking more about the consequences and causes of segregation in, in city. Why um, we see so much segregation, even though discrimination is illegal these days. Why still segregation persists so much? How can we tackle segregation? And how can we help people in uh, disadvantaged areas have better lives? If I can, if my work can contribute to all of those things, I will be so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really noble goal. Um, that that may lead into my last question. I don't know, but um, what do you find most gratifying about what you do? Well, many many things. So, in my job, a feeling that I live constantly with is is uncertainty. Because, and I guess this is a part of doing research because you never really know one hundred percent sure what is the outcome of this project that you are doing or right. this analysis that you are doing. You never know. And sometimes things don't come out right and you don't know if you're making a mistake or or there's something that you're not understanding or the data is wrong or the data is very noisy or there's an error in how the data was collected. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And in many times, many, many times, I find myself thinking, oh, there's something that is not working or it doesn't come out the way that I expect and I, I don't know why. But there are Many times that I make this big through and I realize why something is not working and why I was not understanding something. Mm -hmm. And those moments of like, you know, a light bulb moment, oh, this is happening because of this and that and that. And it turns out that the data is correct. Your code is correct. Everything is correct. You just understand something new of your, of your research. So that is very gratifying. I find that um, uh, very gratifying. Thank you, Professor Almagro, for your time today. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's interview, please check out the others. Leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, and share this episode with your friends and family. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. Stay tuned for more. See you around.